Thank you, Brother Don. As we begin to get ready for the message this evening, I have a special prayer request that has seemingly the Lord has put on my heart, and that is concerning the orphan's home in Guyana. And they have the building and everything all ready to go, but they don't have the permit from the government. I don't know all about different governments and how they work. I know that we believe in the separation of church and state, and the church should be able to do whatever it feels the Lord would have them to do without interference from the government. But I don't know about these other countries, and I certainly can't pass judgment on that situation. But they do need a permit to begin. And so I don't know why it's just seemingly that the Lord has put that on my mind and on my heart. And I would like for you also to uh, be up to date on that and pray for that uh, orphan's home that the Lord would bring that to pass soon. And also pray for Sister Peggy as she's planning to go down there. Uh, in the Lord's timing. This evening I have four verses of scripture in the New Testament and each one of these verses have a common phrase that ties them together even though they're found in different places. You may want to jot these verses down. I'll give them to you and then we'll come back and we'll Read them and study them one at the time as we go along. The first one is Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. The second one is Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12. The third one is Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. And the fourth one is Acts chapter 20. And verse number 28. <clears throat> we will read all four of these to begin with, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer and get right into the message. In Revelation chapter number 1 and verse 5, actually it's the last part of the verse where it says, Unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. <clears throat> Some time ago, I started preparing a message that I wanted in God's timing to be able to preach to a congregation of Jewish people. I don't know when the Lord or how the Lord would bring that to pass. But the title of the message was Messiah's Blood on the Mercy Seat. This is a concept that modern Jewish people cannot understand. They understand the concept of Messiah delivering them from the problems all around them. They do not understand the Messiahship of the Lord Jesus Christ in his first coming, which was for the purpose of dying on the cross and shedding his precious blood. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And now turn back to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 12. <clears throat> Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people, and here's that common phrase, with his own blood suffered without the gate. And then we come on back to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And then we go to the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28. <clears throat> I turned to the wrong book. 
Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. May we pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that the sweet Holy Spirit will be our teacher as we study your precious word together this evening. Our Father, we read recently how that a mob attacked a young man that had a Bible, tore his Bible up, and even so seemingly satanically eight pages of the book. But our Father, we pray that you would help us in another form to eat your word tonight, to digest your word. Oh, I pray that the Holy Scriptures will become the engrafted word in our souls tonight. Speak to us and we'll be grateful. Apply your word to all of our hearts. Accomplish your purpose in all of our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. The history of biblical faith and atonement for sin is the death of an innocent substitute by the shedding of its blood. God made the first one of those sacrifices when Adam and Eve had sinned and to cover their nakedness they sewed fig leaves together which represents human works, God changed that by taking the skin off of some animals to make them clothing that was better clothing. And that shows that salvation is by grace and not by works. We read about that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. Abel followed God's standard And he gave from his flock in contradistinction to the sacrifice that Cain made out of his garden. Abel's sacrifice was a blood sacrifice. And God smiled upon that and accepted that. This is all due to the fact that the wages of sin is death. God had said in Genesis 2 and verse 17 that if they should eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that that day they would die. They died in that 24-hour day spiritually. And as a day is with the Lord as a thousand years, they died physically within that period of time. Nobody has lived longer than that. Romans chapter 6 and verse 26 tells us very plainly plainly, that the wages of sin is death. In the Old Testament tabernacle and temple worship, the blood sacrifice was required. Almost all things above the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission, Hebrews 9.22. However, this enormous volume of blood shed throughout the Old Testament was only typical and prophetical of the Lord, of the, of the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, John 1.29. In the Old Testament period, something had to die as a promise of redemption. In the New Testament, Someone had to die in order to procure the promise. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one capable and willing and has been so from the foundation of the world. And that matter was decreed in the council of the Godhead before the foundation of the world. I find these scriptures very, very interesting. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, and verse number 3, the Word of God says, For which we have believed do enter into rest, as he said, 
as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. God decreed within himself that Christ would be our redeemer, that his blood would wash away our sins. And in Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 8, there is a phrase that says, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. We know that this did not happen until about 2,000 years ago when the Lord Jesus died on the cross. The word of God says so very clearly, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, and that word literally means should not go to hell, perish, to go to hell, but have everlasting life. And when it says that God gave his only begotten son, it literally means that he sacrificed his only begotten son. When God gave his only begotten son, he gave every drop of blood in his wonderful, precious body. If our sweet Lord should help me this evening, I would like to address this subject by allowing each one of these four verses that we have already read to bear the statement by his own blood. Number one, Revelation chapter one and verse five has washed us in his own blood. In this verse I see that there is the power of God to cleanse from sin. That awful and terrible thing that separates us from holy God. I'm sure that you, like I, think often about what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. I've made this statement before, and I will try to make it again. When we get to heaven, we're going to have all of eternity to do whatever it is we're going to be doing in eternity. But right here, right now, this is the only opportunity we're going to have to serve God in this capacity. And the great and wonderful thing about being in heaven is the fact that we're going to be there and there's not going to be any interruption in our fellowship with God. I'm sure that you feel, as I feel, my own personal sinfulness day by day, my own weakness. How often, when I want to go to God in fellowship and prayer, how often it is that I have to go by way of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then, over yonder, in heaven, with a new body, we're not going to have the problem of having to confess our sins. There won't be any interruption in our fellowship with the Lord. Isn't that going to be wonderful? Amen. And the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ washes all of our sins away. As the Old Testament was the temporary covering, the work of Christ in the New Testament was a permanent cleansing. I love this passage found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I remember when I was a child, we had a tradition that we did as a family. 
every Sunday. Saturday was the day preparing to get ready for the Lord's Day. We shined our shoes, and Mother cooked up a bunch of stuff ahead of time. And Sunday was the day that we went to church. We lived about a half a mile, and back in those days, in the 40s, we didn't have an automobile. There wasn't a lot of gasoline to go around, not a lot of metal to go around to make personal things like automobiles. And we walked to church, and we'd walk home, and we would have a wonderful Sunday meal. Now, we scraped all through the week, but we had a special meal on Sunday. And our special little thing that we did as a family is that after we ate, we would go for a walk. There was a railroad track not too far from our house, and we would go down and walk way up the railroad track and back. And Mother liked to go with us. She had worked hard to prepare the meal, and now she wasn't ready to wash dishes. And so she would take a tablecloth, and here this beautiful table with all of that good stuff on it is now an ugly table because it's all messed up. And she would take a tablecloth and spread that over that ugly scene and cover it up. When we returned home from our walk, my mother would take the tablecloth away, remove the dishes, put them in the sink with soap and water, and wash them clean. This is basically the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, all of that blood sacrifice and oh my, there was a lot of blood sacrifice when they dedicated the temple. Just think of all the thousands of animals that were killed on that one occasion. Josiah observed a special Passover in which a large number of animals were sacrificed. Not just smaller animals such as lambs, but larger animals, such as bulls. I can only imagine that one of those animals would train out at least a number two tub full of blood. Just think of all of the thousands and thousands of tubs of blood that were sacrificed on those, on those occasions. Well, that didn't do a bit of good as far as washing sins away. But it did keep those Israelis attention to realize that God was prophesying that death was required and blood had to be shed. And so the Lord Jesus Christ came in fulfillment of that wonderful time. This is why baptism cannot save. Only the blood of Jesus can wash your sins away. The baptismal waters cannot cleanse. And if anyone wanted to be thinking otherwise, don't go to Israel and get baptized in the Jordan River. That's not a very clean river. But the Word of God makes it very clear that this cleansing for the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is something that once it starts by faith, repentance and faith in the life of an individual, that cleansing continues Every day, every minute, every split second of the life of that believer. For the word of God says in 1 John 1, 7, that, now just hang on, I know this verse really well. <laughs> I'm just having a senior moment. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, and that word cleanseth means a continual process of cleansing. You have been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ if you've repented and trusted him as your Savior. Not only that, but you're continually being washed in his precious blood. This points out the fact that God not only saves us by his grace, but he keeps us saved. There is absolutely no way that any of us could keep ourselves saved any more than we could have saved ourselves to begin with. 
We go now to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12. And we'll read that passage again. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. In this passage we see that he's with his own blood he brought about the power of a sanctified purpose. What is sanctification? What does sanctification mean? Let's make a statement to make it as simple as we possibly can. Sanctification means that we have been selected. We have been made saintly. And we have been reserved and appointed for a special purpose. Sanctification has already occurred in your life. Sanctification is still in the process of occurring. And what could possibly make such a glorious difference in the life of an old sinner like me? His own blood. His own blood. I'm attracted, and Brother Don mentioned this uh, Wednesday night when he spoke. And I'm referring now to verse number four of Psalm 147. Speaking of God, it says, He telleth the number of the stars, He calleth them all by their names. Now, you know that our Milky Way and our sun is just one of billions of stars in our Milky Way, which is a galaxy. And now they have, with more powerful telescopes, discovered that there are literally billions of galaxies. And each one of those galaxies contain billions of stars. That blows my fuses. <laughs> I mean, you think about the greatness and the majesty of our God. Yes. And we cannot understand Him except by the means which He has chosen to reveal Himself to us. It's almost dizzying to think about how great He is. And we come and we can only fall at his feet and worship him and thank him that he is who he is. But he created all of the stars. And he did so with a specific purpose for each one. There is a star that we can see from our northern hemisphere in which we live, which is called the North Star. And it's very interesting. According to my compass right here, that's the north right there. It's cloudy out there tonight, and so we can't see it. But if it were a clear night, and if we could get somebody to turn off all of the lights of Chattanooga, we would be able to go out there and see the north star. And if we could go all the way to the North Pole and stand right on the North Pole, we would look straight up. Well, there he is right there. We would look straight up and we'd see the North Star. All of the other stars are moving. And that one is probably twisting in the event of the 24-hour rotation of the Earth on its axis. If we could put a camera right there on the North Pole and put it on long exposure, then we would look at the picture when the 24 hours were passed and all the stars around that would be just a streak or a stream in a circle except the North Star, it would be right there. God sanctified that star for a purpose. And that is for the purpose 
creation was made for man. And God knew that man, man would be out on the high seas and wouldn't be able to know where the north and the south and the east and the west were when he was in his old sailing vessels. And so he put the North Star up there and mariners and pilots can use that as a point of reference. There is another one in the southern hemisphere and it's a galaxy, not a galaxy, but a constellation called the Southern Cross. It's not visible very well from the, not visible at all from many parts of the northern hemisphere, but Judy and I used to live at 15 degrees north latitude, which is 900 miles north of the equator, and we could see the constellation, the Southern Cross, from our front porch. There were no city lights. We had a full view of the heavens, and it was beautiful. The Southern Cross is a constellation formed by four stars. There's a top star and a bottom star, and then the two arm stars. And at any time of the night, when you can see the Southern Cross, just draw an imaginary line through the top star and the bottom star and keep following that line straight on down to the horizon, and that is due south. In the early part of the evening, it seems to be leaning to the east. About midnight, it's straight up. And later in the wee hours of the morning, it's leaning over toward the west. But at each time, it is always pointing to the same point on the horizon. No matter where it is, it's always pointing to that place. I'm talking about the Creator who had a sanctified purpose for everything that He created. There is a purpose, not just for the stars of heaven, but there is this purpose in your life. And the Bible says that He has sanctified us by His own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, but His own blood. He has sanctified us. We have a purpose. You like to watch football? How do you feel when your favorite team, the quarterback is ready to throw and somebody from the other team comes over and catches him and throws him down on the ground? Do you like that? Well, you know that there are 11 men on each team and each man has an opponent from the other team. Each man has an assigned man that he's supposed to stop, like the defensive. He's supposed to stop this man so that he won't get back there and harm the quarterback. Just so it is, God has a purpose for every one of our lives. God's purpose for you and purpose for me is not our religious amusement. God's purpose for you is just as definite and more so than the North Star and the Southern Cross. Your life is to be a guiding light to some mariner lost out on the sea of life. Then we go to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. Now this verse, before we read it again, we want to get the background that is given here. And in Hebrews chapter 9, in verse number 1, let's read a little bit. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. So here we have the tabernacle. There are two rooms to it. The holy place. The common priest came in and served there. I will just review this quickly because the time is passing. But it was behind the second veil in the holiest of all 
where the Ark of the Covenant was and the covering for that Ark, which was made of gold, speaking of the deity of Christ, this was the place of propitiation, this was the mercy seat, and the high priest alone went one time every year and sprinkled the blood of the animal sacrifice on that mercy seat. And we jump now to verse 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Now where is that tabernacle? It is not on earth. It is in heaven. And the one on earth was speaking of that one. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now I see in this passage the power to keep. We have seen in the first passage the power to cleanse from sin. In the second passage, the power of a sanctified purpose. And now we see the power to keep. By his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained what? Eternal redemption for us. The type was only a type, insufficient to be the real deal. Look back up at verse number 9, the second part of the verse, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. This is talking about the old tabernacle, the limitations of it. And then look at verse 10, speaking of that old tabernacle, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. That high priest could not just go nonchalantly into the Holy of Holies. He had to go through a process of personal cleansing and purification according to everything prescribed by the law of the Old Testament, before he could ever go in. He went in one time every year. By the end of that year, the sinfulness of the nation had mounted so much, it was necessary for him to go back again on the Day of Atonement and sprinkle the blood on that sacrifice. Year after year after year, Failure after failure after failure. Sin after sin after sin. It had to be taken care of over and over and over again. It was imposed upon them. The Bible says, we read that verse just a moment ago. It was imposed upon them. They had to do it. There is no imposition upon us today because of his own blood. Instead of an imposition, an obligation, we have an imputation. His righteousness was imputed to us. His righteousness was given to us. We don't go to heaven on the fact of trying to save ourselves or trying to keep ourselves saved. We go to heaven on the fact of the Lord's righteousness and his goodness. I think I may have given this illustration once before. I hope I'm not being redundant. Let me give it again. When I was in elementary school, I lived about a quarter of a mile from the school. And my mother gave me permission to come home for lunch. And I would go home and eat lunch Go back to school because I live so close to the school. There was a young 
friend of mine in class who was from a very poor family, and his name was Johnny. And one day, Johnny told me, I'm going to go home with you and have lunch. Well, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have my mother's permission to invite him home to eat lunch, but Johnny was hungry. And Johnny was taller than I, naturally, and he had longer legs than I. And so he said, today I'm going home with you. I'm going to eat lunch with you. I said, I don't know, Johnny. My my mother hasn't given permission for this. And I thought, what am I going to do? Well, as soon as the bell rang and it was time to go to lunch, I just took off like a blue streak running. I thought, well, I'll just run. He doesn't know where I live. But those big long legs of Johnny just couldn't outrun him at all. And I ran the best that I could. I got to the house first, up on the porch, opened the door, in and slammed the door. (sighs) And Mother looks at me curiously. She says, Larry, what's, what's going on? And about that time, bloom, 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 those big old clod hoppers of Johnny were bounding up on the porch. Larry, who sat at the door? Open the door, see who that is. Oh, Mama, what's the matter, son? Oh, it's Johnny. Well, who's Johnny? Oh, he's a boy that, he's real poor, Mama. He doesn't have any lunch. And he's invited himself to come and eat lunch with us. Well, open the door and let him in. It wasn't the problem with my mother that it was with me. And so Johnny came in and had lunch with us that day. You know what the Bible says about us in the book of Ephesians? We have been accepted in the beloved. We're going to heaven on the basis of his righteousness, not ours. God the Father accepts him. And because we have run to him by faith, our Father has accepted us. Isn't that a wonderful thought? And that is eternal redemption that we have. My mother accepted Johnny. She didn't know Johnny, but I was her son, and she accepted Johnny because of me. We come now to the last verse over in the book of Acts, chapter number 20, and verse number 28. And I have to confess that this is a whole sermon within itself, and I won't be able to deal with it very well. We'll just touch on it, and maybe you can study it out later. In verse uh, 28, the Bible says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Now, we've talked about cleansing. We've talked about sanctification. We've talked about eternal security. And now, he refers to the church. To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, there are two very important Christian experiences that we must never confuse. And the Bible tells us that we are to rightly divide the word of truth. Those two Christian experiences are birth and baptism. You must not take one for the other or the other for the one. We are born into the kingdom of God, not baptized. We are born, John chapter 3, verse 5, 6, 7 and 8. We are born into the family of God. Ephesians 3.15 speaks of the family in heaven and in earth. We have loved ones that are in heaven. They're in the family. We've been saved. We're still alive on the earth. We're in the family. The family is in heaven. The family is in earth. 
on earth. After we are born into the family of God, after we are born again, according to John chapter 3, there is something that we need to do as a Christian. We need to be obedient to our Lord. And we need to be baptized by water into the fellowship of the local body of Christ. The kingdom is a universal, invisible relationship of all believers in Christ. The family of God is a universal, invisible relationship of all believers in Christ. But the church is a local, visible congregation, an ecclesia, an assembly of believers. By water baptism, we identify ourselves with the Lord's body. Romans 6 and verse 3, Galatians 3 and verse 27 are used by some to teach baptismal regeneration. It is not talking about that whatsoever. It is talking about our identity with the Lord's body. This church sanctified for the Lord's purpose. And if I come into this church as a lost sinner, then my life is to be changed and sanctified and cleaned in order that I might not bring reproach against this beautiful body of our Lord. The law of physics tells us that a body has weight and occupies space. By the nature of the case, the Lord's church is a local, visible congregation. You may say, well, don't give me the physics book. Give me the word of God. All truth is God's truth. Whether you find truth in the physics book or in the Holy Bible, all truth is God's truth. And the Lord's church, which is redeemed by his blood, is chosen to evangelize the world. How important can you get? The church, therefore, is important. And if he thinks so, we must think so also. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, tells us that husbands should love their wives even as, now this is the tall assignment, the Lord loved his church. Oh, where is there a man on earth that can love his wife as the Lord loved his church? Well, we may not measure up, but that's our homework. That's where we stand. No greater price was ever paid for anything. I read recently that some dude out in California by the name of Elon Musk. Anybody ever heard of Elon Musk? He purchased Twitter, whatever that is. And he paid, you correct me if I'm wrong, 41 billions? 41 billions of dollars? Do you know how much a billion dollars is? If you were a millionaire... 1,000 times over, you would be a billionaire. 41 of those billions. And Twitter is not going to survive the tribulation. It could be used during the tribulation, but I'm no prophet and I don't know. I just see technology coming to a head in these last days in which we live. But that's nothing. 41 billions doesn't even compare. Our Lord purchased his church with his own blood. If it was that important to our Lord, it ought to be important to me. 
Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, and so much more as you see the day approaching. There's one other scripture. I want to read from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, and verse number 45 and 46. And the word of God says, Again the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. To rightly divide the word of truth, we do need to understand the difference between the kingdom, the family, and the church. I see the kingdom as as a main heading. And the parables of the kingdom in chapter 13 of Matthew deal with different aspects of the kingdom. For me, the church is one of those aspects. And our Lord Jesus found this treasure, uh, found this pearl of great price, and he sold all that he had and bought it with his own blood. How important are you as a child of God The Lord purchased you with his own blood. You're bought with a price. You're not your own. May we stand together and go to the Lord in prayer. If there's anyone here tonight who does not know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, we invite you while we as a church stand prayerfully that you would come and receive Christ as your Savior. I'll be standing down front. Just come to me and say, Brother Larry, I want to be saved. I can't save you. You know that. But I know who can save you. I'll be glad to show you from the Word of God and pray with you to trust Christ as your Savior. Anyone else who may have a need to come and pray, the altar is open for you. As our ladies begin to play. With his own blood, he washed our sins away. With his own blood, he has set us apart for a specific purpose. With his own blood, he's given us an eternal security. With his own blood, he's brought us together as a church. And we have a purpose to do. God speak into your heart today in any way, any need you may have. Would you come? Our gracious Heavenly Father, tonight we thank you for what you've done for us by the shedding of your own precious blood on the cross of Calvary. Pray that you would bless us now in this moment of quietness and prayer. Bless those who have come forward. Be with them and meet their need. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. We're not dismissed yet, Brother Don, would you? Thinking here still in prayer, I can't help to say what he just said would have been bought with a price. And it doesn't match the price of Twitter. Not even a drop at all. The blood of Christ. My, my, my.
This is one of those messages you've got to go back and hear again. Even this morning. So maybe we ought to do that. Challenge us all to do that. And think about that. Brother Jim Beeler is going to have surgery on uh, Wednesday for his second knee. He's going for part two. All right? And uh, he's done well with the first one. We praise the Lord for that. But he's going in for uh, his next one on, on uh, Wednesday. I believe it would be appropriate, again, that we have prayer for him. So let's gather around, and Brother Jim, come on up here. Let's have a special prayer for Brother Jim tonight as he goes for this next surgery. If you'd like to come up here, let's have prayer with him. Men gather around him and uh, others, and let's take time, and let's have prayer for our Brother Jim. Brother Jim does a lot around here. We love him. We appreciate him. And uh, we want him, again, to get well quick, all right? He does. I know that. And uh, that this will go as well or better than the first one. And let's really pray for that as we think about that. Um, Brother Larry still got the lapel mic on. Brother, would you turn his up? I'm going to ask Brother Larry if he would pray for us right there. If you just turn it on again. Or you can come back up if you want to. Um, All right. All right, let's pray. Our Father, again, we come to you in prayer. We thank you for Brother Jim and what he means to us and his family. We thank you and praise you for the wonderful way you have blessed him in this first surgery. We give you the glory and the praise. And now, our Father, I pray that you would undergird him and bless him and be with him and prepare his heart and his mind and his family for this next undertaking. I pray that you'd guide the doctors and just protect him from any kind of a mistake that the doctors may make and bless him in a special way. I thank you for him. I pray that you'd fill him sweetly with our spirit and continue to bless us by his presence in our midst. We thank you. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great evening and a good week.